0: To always tease about this stuff.
1: <laughs> so we're not the first ones to come in here and mic you up and <laughs> try to get try to get dirt out of you or something. No, <laughs> it's, it's been
0: kind of crazy.
1: Considering you never really had to do that in in the past, the right? First,
0: uh, you know, hundred years, no one even knew we were down here. Then all of a sudden Bourbon got all crazy and it was like, hey, can we come in and do an interview? Can we come yeah. in and do a story? Can we do this? Can we you know we're doing a documentary? It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's like
1: Hey everyone, this back to basic series has been a lot of fun. This episode is gonna conclude the series by talking about the magic before the magic. Yes, those glorious copper stills that just don't get enough attention. Our guest tonight was gracious enough to give us behind the scenes tour and showed us the, what he called the heat it and beat it treatment that goes into the fashioning copper to take the shapes of the stills. It's truly an art that goes into making them and look as good as they do. Make sure you check out all the pictures on our Instagram page at Bourbon Pursuit. We're happy to announce a new partnership with the Kentucky Derby Museum to bring all the Bourbon legend series that are hosted by Fred Minnick to our podcast. These will be seasonal releases and to really get the most out of the experience and also to get a chance to drink the bourbon you've just got to be there in person the next event will take place on april 20th and will feature the president of old forester campbell brown tickets are 75 dollars per person or 65 dollars if you're a museum member and they can be purchased online at derbymuseum.org to keep the show going please take a minute and support us on patreon we've got sponsorships starting at just one dollar a month that gets you unedited footage Koozies, and of course, limited edition Bourbon Pursuit t shirts. Visit patreon.com. That's P A T R E O N.com slash bourbon pursuit. And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixirs Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 a cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails, or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at WhiskeyAmbitions.com. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Welcome back to the episode of the Burn Pursuit Podcast. Kenny here today, and we are in downtown Louisville, and I've actually got a return guest co-host with me, so I'm glad to bring back to the show Lyndon Ferguson. Or so Yeah, Lyndon Ferguson. Last time I said Lyndon Johnson, I was like, wait a second. So, <laughs> Lyndon, welcome back to the show, man. Thanks for having me. So, uh, for anybody that hasn't listened to Lyndon before, uh, you can catch him on a past episode when we interviewed Brent Elliott as well as Elizabeth McCall. So... Uh, Give people a little reminder about who you are and how you got into bourbon yourself.
2: Yeah, so um, I uh, started uh, partaking in bourbon you know, when I was younger in college. And back then, it was just the, the standard Jim Beams and the Maker's Mark. And as I, as I grew to enjoy it, I started to get to know uh, the different products that are out there. Uh, even more so when I uh, started working on the retail side and uh, managed a, a large-chain liquor store here in Louisville, and I really got to know the master distillers, the products, the flavors, uh, the behind-the-scenes things that happen in distilleries. And so this is, this is an honor for me to be here because you get to see, you know, without Vindom. This whole industry doesn't happen, and it's it, it's really cool to see. So appreciate you having me. Absolutely, this
1: is gonna be a this gonna be a good episode because this one might be the tail end of our our back to basics month. So if there's one thing that bourbon, whiskey, moonshine, and other spirits have in common, it's our guest today. So I'm gonna go ahead and introduce him. His name is Mike Sherman. Mike is the owner of Vendome Copper and Brassworks. So Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. So before we get into it and start talking about you know family lineage and what we do here. Um, you know, do you drink? Like, what do you do? You like bourbon? I mean, is, is is do you like bourbon just because business is good right now, or do you have uh do you, do you like bourbon or whiskey or anything like that even before uh, before business was good? Um,
0: I, I do drink, and um, I, I do love bourbon, and, and in fact, um, um, it's pretty safe to say that my wife and I have a bourbon every night um, when we settle down and and uh, after the kids have gone to bed and we're kind of just relaxing, and usually we got a bourbon in our hand, enjoying the evening. Absolutely. Well, that's
1: good. So let's, let's go ahead and talk about the business a little bit. So for those listeners who have never even heard of Vendome, right? Because we've this is back to basics. They're they're just understanding what copper and grains and all these other things mean. So give them an idea of, of what you all do here and, and why it is important.
0: So uh, Vendome Copper and Brass Works, we're a, um, a sheet metal fabricator. Um, so we're taking, um, you know, mostly flat sheet and, and forming it into, uh, either, uh, copper pot stills or, or copper continuous columns for distillation. Um, and, uh, y- you know, which is, uh, how you go about, uh, stripping the alcohol out of, it out of a, uh, fermented mash, to, to create a bourbon. Um, so we were, uh, uh, been around for four generations. Um, always located right here in Butchertown, uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And, um, uh, just you know, business is good and loving life. <laughs> that's, not, that's also good, that's good to have. So, I guess, talk a little bit more
1: about do you make just stills here? I mean, what else do you guys do here? Uh, besides just making uh, things that essentially just get you drunk all the time.
0: <laughs> so, over the years, uh, you know, when, when, uh, w- About 1903, 1904, Vendome was was started by my great-grandfather and, you know, mostly the distilling industry and some breweries. Um, But over the years, we've had to branch out. We're, We're in the chemical industry, pharmaceutical, confectionery. Um, uh, you know, so so lots of different areas. You know, once uh, stainless steel became popular, um, you know, we, we, we branched out into the stainless steel and other high nickel alloys. So, so we do quite a bit of work um, in other industries. It's, it just happens that the distilling the industry is, is pretty much dominating our shop right now.
1: And so I guess that's, that's a good question to, or good thing to kind of push to you is to say that, you know, one thing that you would notice if you go to any distillery pretty much around Kentucky, I would say at least a solid 90 to 95%, you know, you go through and you see the stills. Uh, m- most of them, if not all of them are coming from you, right? The big guys, Jim Beam, Makers Mark, all of them.
0: Yeah, Um a lot of the distilleries have um, all of our equipment on the distillation side in it. Um, some of the older distilleries um, have a lot of our equipment, but then they still have a couple old stills that may not be ours, but uh, hopefully one day they'll be replacing those and they will be ours. Um, and we had a, a lot of competitors in the in the Louisville and Cincinnati area back in uh, the early days and, and everything. And and for whatever reason, um, we were able to keep our doors open over the over the past century. And, and these other places, um, for one reason or another, decided to shut down or um, maybe it was prohibition. They didn't survive that. Or, um, uh, you know, we, we were fortunate enough to where we saw the writing on the table uh, during. A few decades there, where we knew we had to branch out, or we weren't going to make it. Um, and and luckily, the the leadership of here of um, probably more or less my father and uncle uh, Dick um, went out there and, and started getting into those other industries. So we had work to to keep the doors open. So
1: with that, I kind of want to rewind a little bit because you've you've talked about you're you know you're the fourth generation person here. Uh, and your sister here who actually introduced it in the room, uh, but you also said through Prohibition. So kind of, let's let's rewind back a lot further and kind of talk about the origins of Vendome. Like, where did it start? Um, you know, what was, the, what was the reason it started and how did it end up here or whatever it is?
0: So my uh, great-grandfather actually worked for a company that was um, had a division in Louisville but was based out of Cincinnati and he started um, I think as a bookkeeper and worked himself up to actually, I, I think he was listed as the vice president at one point and the uh, company decided to close its Louisville division for whatever reason Um, uh, and and my great grandfather saw enough business here in this region to to keep something open. So whether he bought that division or just went down the street and opened up his own, um, we're not really sure the, the details. But next thing we know, um, Vendome was show, showing up in some trade magazines and everything. Um, and we've got some some dated documents and, and everything from from that 1904 area um, to to where Vendome was created. Um, we started on Main Street, just two blocks away from where we, we are right now. Um, uh, Prohibition hit. Naturally, uh, a lot of things changed then. Um, some distilleries were able to operate uh, for medicinal uh, purposes and things like that. And um, so we were able to keep some uh, of those customers and, and maintain them. Um, I do know that um, our great grandfather went to Canada for about a year with his family and, and put up a, a distillery up there. Um, we know that he also teamed up with some um, other companies in Louisville, uh, did some uh, pumps, pump work, um, also did some boiler work. Um, so it sound, to me, it sounded like he was doing whatever it took to keep the doors open. And then prohibition ended, things took off again. Um, uh, then my, my grandfather came into the business and and um, uh, you know kept everything running, um, and then you know the third generation came in. Uh, my father and uncle, um, and bourbon, you know, wasn't always that attractive, sexy drink that it is now. Um, um, you know, most master distillers back then would um, wasn't too keen on drinking bourbon unless it was, you know, neat on the rocks or with a splash of water. You never mixed it with Coke or, or fruit juices or anything like that, that you're seeing these mixologists do nowadays. So, um, so when that, so back then, um, bourbon, you know, vodka was introduced and, and vodka was the big boom and everything. And, um, um, so so bourbon wasn't really growing too much uh, we weren't doing a whole lot of expansions and and, and everything we were just kind of maintaining equipment uh, replacing equipment maybe when it wore out but no expansions um, in the late 70s early 80s the uh, first gas haul boom hit and that's really what what i guess you know escalated our business um, to a new level Um we had to start putting up some some pretty big buildings, um, manufacturing buildings. We were building 11 foot, 12 foot, 12 and a half foot diameter columns for uh, you know, people like uh, Archer Daniels, Midland, ADM out in the Midwest and other Midwest companies that were putting up gasohol plants. Um, so you know, my, my uncle and, and dad still say, you know that while we're busy now, they're not sure we're as busy as we were in the late 70s, early 80s when we were working three shifts over in the shop um, just to get, you know, that gas haul equipment out of here. Um, so, you know, that that went through a boom and, and definitely propelled us um, uh, into some some new, bigger buildings and everything. Um, and then it was about that time also we were getting into the chemical industries and, and some other industries as well. Um Uh, rubber town here in louisville has got a lot of different chemical plants Um, we're an asme code stamp shop that allows us to do pressure vessels uh, which is big in the chemical industries Um, and there's a lot of shops in louisville that don't have that um, uh, code stamp so uh, that that opened up some doors for us and and allowed us to get into those um, areas and um, you know of course, bourbon. You know, seven, eight, nine years ago, all of a sudden, you just started seeing it boom again. All the big, all the big distilleries started expanding, and then all of a sudden, the craft distilling industry started coming on board, and um, it's been very busy since then.
1: That's not a bad thing to have. So, I guess I want to want to rewind back again, and even to the early, because I mean, the origin of of copper stills is not really even able. You're not able to find it. Like, who made the first one, or kind of how it came about. But I want to talk about, you know, what it talks about from a, a manufacturing process. You know, when your great-grandfather was running this, is it, was it a big process of trial and error when you start making something to figure out, like, oh, this is this is not going to work, or maybe th- th- we can tweak this and make it better? And how has that led in today? Is it essentially copy-paste, or is it kind of – or is, are you still trying to figure out ways to make it more efficient?
0: You know, of course um – back when, when we, the pictures that we have of our old shop and everything in, in the early 1900s, um, they're all pot stills, which is funny because now we, we've we gone back to a lot of people doing the pot stills. Um, you know, they're all riveted seams and, and lead solder and, and all this stuff. And um, they really don't look too different than, than what some of the ones that we're building now when we do a pot still for a customer. Um, so, you know... I'm not really sure when the first pot still or anything came on board, but you know, um, um, I, I do know back in the uh, late 1700s when George Washington was was distilling uh, at Mount Vernon uh, in, in Virginia, um, he had a, a set of pot stills, about five pot stills that ranged from 70 to, to 95 gallons of pots. Um, And and I know that because we were able to duplicate those uh, when they when they redid the George Washington Distillery um, some, you know, five, six, seven years ago. Um, So uh, the pot still has been around forever. Um, The continuous still, um, uh, you know, came about um, years later and and was probably a a more um, uh, workhorse. Um, was able to be fed in continuously. did It wasn't batch. It was continuous. Um, it, it probably put out a little bit more of a consistent product uh, once you got it up and running. And, um, you know, and, and, and uh, again, the, the stills that we were building 40 and 50 years ago on the continuous side are, are very similar to the stills that we're building now. Um, so, you know, everyone has their... Little tweaks on what they want. Um, all the distilleries um, have a little bit different uh, sizes or 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 different amount of internal trays or something like that. but um, they're very similar in a lot of ways, though.
1: I guess that's a that's another good question because Terry bone and Brent Milvin, they both had this this similar kind of question. They said, like, how customized can you make these products? And and when you do customize it, can you customize it for like a specific flavor profile? Is that even possible? Or is it is it just kind of, you know, just a, a slight nuance that's that really just might make a difference somebody's imagination versus the actual outcome?
0: Right. Um, you know, a lot of the flavoring comes into um, um, the fermentation process, the types of grain, the types of yeast. Um, distilling does play a part of it as far as um, what proof you might be bringing over your product, um, um, uh, the, the, uh, amount of congeners that you're keeping in your product and, 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 and not stripping out of it. Um, so there's a lot of different things that you can do to, to change the flavor profile, um, not just in the distilling, but all the way across the board. Um, so we do, we have done a lot of different types of stills. We are a custom fabricator. We take great pride in that. We don't make, one type of still, put it on a shelf, and when someone calls, there it is. Um, we like to be custom. We want every still to look a little bit different, um, and and if someone has uh, an idea of of uh, of a of a certain type of still that might still a little bit different than than you know we can make it for them.
1: i guess humor me like what, what would be the difference in those ideas right because i i don't know i mean i wouldn't know because for me i'd call and be like what what do you have on the shelf right right. right so right. i guess give me some idea of what somebody would want to say and they say i want to make this like a, a little bit different and, and tweak this area like what are those areas and what would be different
0: you know a lot of times the customization comes into um customers call us and they already have a building so they're like, okay, we got a building and we want to put in a still. And they're like, we got really tall ceilings. It's like, oh, great, you need tall ceilings. How tall are your ceilings? They're like 10 foot. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's not very tall. You know, so you so, need a So all of a, a sudden, we're roof. making a, a, a wider diameter and a squattier. Pot still, um, and we may take the the column that usually sits on top of it and take it over and set it on the side of it, and 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 so sometimes the geometry of a of a person's building leads to what their still is going to look like, Um, you know, and and you know naturally everyone. Wants to show off their equipment. They want they, they they get into the business. Maybe they have a love for bourbon and whiskey, and they want to make that. But but they also want to have tours and and people come in and, and everything. So, um, y- you know the where the um, uh, try box or the or the tail box is. You know they're always trying to jazz that area up and and try to make something different for that. And and we tell people. Put, you know, draw it out. You know, if you got a logo that you want to try to duplicate, or, or, or you got something, you know, in your mind, put it on paper and, and let's do it because we can do it. it. You know, may cost a little more, but we can do it. So um, we we've done some. You know, we we we've, we've got one uh, uh, tail box out there that's got a, a, a moving. Uh, figurine and it as the as the distillate comes over and the paddle it, it, it moves uh, a guy that's actually looks like he's pushing a barrel um you know there's that's unique there's no one else out there that's got anything like that mm-hmm. and uh, that's what we like to do we, we love to customize
1: so is there any kind of innovation going on right because this is a this is a an art a craft that's been around for centuries right so is there any more innovation that kind of goes on or is it just kind of just a lot of tweaking or kind of like you said just this customization of of little things
0: i think um you know we've had some people call and 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 say they've got new technology or or they can do this or they can do that they can age faster they can and and you know the one thing i think that we probably learned by by working with um, all the people in the different distilleries and the master distillers and the and the people who really have been doing it all their lives. Is is sometimes there's just no shortcuts that can be taken to make a great product. Um, you know, there 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 are some technologies out there to to uh, advance the aging along, um, and and the whiskeys are they're good. I mean, you know, I've tasted them; they're not bad; they're good. Um, but I think. M- more and more people just come back to wanting um, um the 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 product that's been um, made the old-fashioned way put in a barrel aged the old-fashioned way um and and when the master distiller says it's it's ready then that's when it's ready and that's what people want um, um sure there's always little tweaks and things uh, in during the process or throughout the process that can be changed a little bit to change some things but Nothing really major. I mean, we we haven't come across anything major. No, one's really brought any major things to us. It's pretty much still the same process. It's been forever.
1: So, when sticking with tradition, um, why is it? Why is copper the the element of choice and not stainless steel or, as you said, other kind of nickel alloys or whatever it is? Like, what makes copper that that element that does whatever the magic that happens? Yeah.
0: Well, lucky. F- I mean, lucky for us. Um, you know, back. In the in the 1700s and, and, and the 1800s, stainless wasn't around, so copper was available, and and that's what people used. And copper smithing was just it was everywhere. Every corner had a, a shop on it that that could do some copper smithing, um, and and it, it just started that these vessels and everything were were made with copper, and everyone knew copper was a great great heat transfer metal. So that's that's they they didn't realize back then though. That there was actual reaction between a fermented mash and and the copper, that actually keeps um, some sulfurs and, and sulfides and odors and stuff behind in the still that you don't want coming over your in your in your product. And um, so if you go like to any of the bourbon distilleries um, in in Kentucky, I'll just you know in, in in the Tennessee whiskey distilleries down in Tennessee, you're gonna see a lot of copper. Um, even the places, there's some distilleries who have stainless steel, but somewhere in that process, they have copper to where all that distillate and all that vapor goes through copper. So all those sulfurs and sulfides and things you don't want in your product gets left, gets pulled out and left behind. So, you know, for us, I tell people all the time the the good news is, is, is copper is, is needed in the process and copper also wears out. I mean, over time, Um, All that copper does, um, it's not like stainless. Stainless, even though it's not a, we found out it's not a forever metal, uh, stainless will last longer than copper, but it doesn't have the reaction that copper has. Shopify's already taken the cash
1: register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. From TikTok to Instagram and beyond, and get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's point of sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning twenty-four-seven help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a one-dollar-per-month trial period at Shopify.com/Bourbon, all lowercase, and go to Shopify.com/Bourbon to take your retail business. To the next level today, shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus Magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's plu dot com, and use code pursuit at checkout for five dollars off your subscription so I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that you're the you're the person in this room that's going to know more about copper than, than anybody else right so does the does the saying hold true that it actually costs more to make a penny than its actual value
0: well, I, I, I think the uh, I think the amount of copper actually in a penny is pretty low <laughs> <laughs> So,
1: <laughs> so, um, I guess what else, what else makes, makes Vendome unique in, in what you all do, because it's, it's always one thing to be able to go to a distillery and you see the presentation, right? You see the way the the still sits there and it's uh, magnificent, you know, whatever you would call it. And it's ivory tower over in the corner. Right. Uh, Cause it literally is, it's a copper tower at that point. So, I mean, what, what makes it look so great and all those other kind of things that, that you do to make it unique?
0: copper in itself I think everyone is drawn to it I mean you know if you go in to a a brewery or a distillery that has um, shiny copper the first thing everyone wants to do is reach out and touch it they they want to touch it and i don't know why but you know and, and and it's funny because you know you go to some places and they got big signs please do not touch the copper because the oil is off your finger as soon as you touch that you come back the next day you have to clean it yeah there's there's fingerprints right there on it. Um it's and like
1: the, the button that says do not push. Yeah. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. So they're all they're all intrigued with the copper and everything. Um, you know, we've been working with copper for over a hundred years. And and the fact is, there's not a whole lot of places that do that type of work anymore. Um, I consider us an industrial fabricator. We don't we don't take real light gauge copper and and bend it and solder it and and rivet it and stuff like that. We take, we got eighth inch quarter inch 3 sixteenths inch i mean we got vessels that we've made for the chemical industry up to half inch thick copper
1: Holy smokes. i mean yeah
0: i mean it is some serious industrial uh thickness of, of metal we tig weld it it is um you know we we tig weld it with 99.99% copper filler metal and 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 tig welding copper is something that you're not going to just go around anywhere in the country and find. Um, we get tons of phone calls from um, certain customers who may be out west or you know not within driving distance of us, and they'll call and say, "Hey, we got a guy here. that says we got a little pinhole leak in our coil. He says he can weld anything. Will you talk to him about weld repairing this?" And and you know we always say, you know, we'll talk to him, but you're probably going to call us back needing it to be fixed. And sure enough, within a day or two, they call and say, "Hey, can you can you get a guy out here? This didn't work. Um, it's just a it's just a different metal. It's a different beast. Um, um, we don't hire copper welders. You know, we make copper welders. We we hire great workers, great uh, welders, and stainless and carbon steel and stuff like that. And then if if we can." get them on the copper and they can pick it up then then we keep working with them and they become a copper welder if they don't pick it up then then you know they just stay on stainless and carbon steel not everyone can can weld it so i was
1: also reading you guys do some things like um, like acid washing and satin finishes and stuff like that so talk about that and what that does to the overall product yeah
0: so i so after working with the copper you know uh, again um, because of the heat that goes into the copper um, you know it comes in Pretty much all nice and, and shiny and everything. But then by the time we're done with it, there's heat marks all over it and, and, and it looks horrible, actually. I mean, it it's it's been fabricated on, it's been worked on. Um so we do a a light ph- phosphoric acid wash on the um copper that, that will take it back to its natural uh copper look. Our what we call our standard satin finish is is just a a light polish that, that gets everything uniform. Um uh It puts a little bit of a polish on it, but, you know, it looks really nice. Um, And then, but we can take it all the way up to a mirror finish. You wake up in the morning, go brush your teeth and shave (laughs) in it. I I always kind of tend to tell people that it's more expensive to to fabricate that and it's more expensive to maintain that. Um, Because copper is going to just in in its... you know, sitting outside, it's going to patina. It's going to darken over time, no matter how shiny it is at the beginning. So if you're not going to continue to rub on it and polish it, then um, it's it's going to darken. Um, so so there are different types of, of um, finishes we can do on it. The, the more we polish on it, the more expensive it is because it's all labor-intensive to polish.
1: I would imagine, because they're not small. Right? No. You got to get on ladders to polish yeah. those things. And right? you
0: got to get it uniform. You can't have... This part over here being a little different than this part over here, it's got to be perfect, um, especially when you go to a mirror finish. It's got to look uniform all the way around that thing. So, it's it's um, it can be
2: a little quite intensive. an experience. Yeah. <laughs> what about talk to us about how the price of, of copper has changed over the years? Because two two or three years ago, we would see news reports of people stealing copper from, mm-hmm. from air conditioners from whatever to sell it. So how does, the, how does the price of copper, how does it change? How has it affected you? How has it affected uh, new distilleries uh, and their purchase uh, habits from you? Yeah.
0: Yeah, copper is a, a traded commodity. I mean, you know, it's, it's um, when we buy copper, it is based on the, um, what copper is trading for that day. Um, so if we're buying copper from, from a mill... Um, there's, there's the copper base price or the metal price, plus a fabrication price to take that copper and and make it into the sheet size and thickness that we want. So, you know, if, if copper goes up, it can jump 10, 15, 20, 30 cents in a week. Um, so luckily over the last couple of years, it's been pretty steady. Um, it has started to creep back up here a little bit over the past few months, but, you know, I trying to think five, six years ago, um, the base metal of copper uh, was over, uh, it was over five or six dollars a pound. And in scrap copper, you could take a piece of scrap copper and get four dollars a pound from the scrap yard. So that's when people were, were going in and 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 taking the plumbing out of houses being built, and, and air conditioning coils, and cutting electric, and and uh, sometimes <laughs> not turning the electric off. Um there's uh, you know quite a <laughs> no, few we accidents, good. I think. Yeah. Um and we had we had people that would walk up in the middle of the day and and, and run into our shop and just grab a, a piece of copper if it was sitting there, uh, broad daylight. So right now I I would say the, the base price of metal of, of of copper right now is probably in a 260 to 275 range. Um, but but yeah, five, six, seven years ago, it was pretty high. People know they have to have the copper. I mean, they, they know they have to have it somewhere. I mean, like um, if one of our big customers calls who has a a, a copper still and it needs to be replaced, they're not going to, you know, change it to stainless because copper is at an all-time high. Because I guarantee you, quality is going to sure, call them and sure. say, hey, why is this different now? There's a different taste in this. Why? And and that's the last thing they want to do is, is be inconsistent on the product that they make.
1: And you might not know for four years. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, they'll taste the distillate off of the still and they'll they'll start to say, Okay, this isn't quite right, what's going on? But you're right. I mean, you know, four years from there after it comes out of a barrel, if it's different, you know, that, that that's even a bigger problem. Mm-hmm.
1: So talk about uh, and this is this is going to be a loaded question I know it is. <laughs> so if I'm a if I'm a new distiller and I say okay I need to I need to get a pot still or I need to get a, a column still or whatever I want to get from you cuz cuz you know you can make magic happen with whatever I want to put down on paper. What's the average time or the lead time it would take for me to say like okay like here's my purchase order like when can I you know start get off and running with this thing?
0: Yeah, right now we're about 8 to 10 months out. Um, on on new you know startups like um, a craft distiller, we were uh, about a year a year and a half ago. We were probably twelve months out, and and so we really worked hard to try to get that back to an eight to ten month period. We find that most most people who are starting a new distillery need eight or ten months to to get their permits and all their um, the, all the local permits and and then their their uh, uh, buildings and, and and getting everything in place. Um, very. Um, you can't even the, to get going with your um, distilling permit, uh, federal distilling permit. You can't. You need to have the serial numbers of the equipment uh, to to issue your permit application. So so usually people are um, ordering with us, and then we'll issue the serial numbers for the equipment that we're going to build for them, and then they use those serial numbers to to get the application going.
1: So what's like the actual manufacture time? Like if once you have the raw materials yeah. in here and you got people pounding away with it, or you know using machines to bend it in whatever ways you have to do, like what's what's the manufacture time for being able to get something?
0: Um, depending on the size, but I would say on average probably a, a three to four month period. Oh wow! Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. So it's not it's nothing that you're doing like in a you know in a week or anything. No,
2: no. But you're, I mean you're also working with other companies to connect all the stills and things to to the piping, to the fermenters, to the, to the, to the cookers and all that. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, um, moving pieces. It's a, it's a
1: mousetrap. It's like a mousetrap game, right? Yeah. Yeah, There's a lot of things going on. Yeah.
0: There's, um, you know, we found out a long time ago that, that most customers want to come in and just do one-stop shopping. They don't want to go here for this and here for this and over here for this and over here for that. They just want, you know, if, if, if the more we can provide, the the happier they are so you know we can do we can provide everything through, through cookers, to the fermenters, to the distillation equipment, to any stainless steel tanks that need, are needed throughout the process, to the uh, tail boxes and tasting boxes and stuff like that. Um, all the way, um, and then, but we've also aligned ourselves with people who provide boilers, people who provide chillers, um, some of the grain handling equipment that's needed. You know, we can, we can give people. I mean, you know, when we're on the phone with them, it's like, here, call these people. They know what they're doing. Uh, we've dealt with them before, and, and so now, all of a sudden, that puzzle goes together a lot easier, um, and, and that, that has been great. Probably one of the best things we've done is, is be able to start pulling everything together. Um, we've aligned ourselves with about six or eight different consultants, people who have worked in the d- distilling industry their whole lives and maybe retired uh, but yet still want to be doing something. So, you know, if I got somebody who comes in and they're putting a nice project together, yet they seem like they might need a little bit more help. You know, I'll, I'll line them up with one of our consultants and, and they'll work with them hand in hand and help them with um, the um, grain bill and the um, uh, startup and, and everything getting the, the thing up and running as well. Um, so we, we try to provide as much to the customer as possible. To help them out a lot. Yeah, you found an issue
2: there. Along with that, so if, if Kenny and I wanted to start our own distillery. Which we're not. <laughs> we're not. <laughs> it sounds like
1: I got an investment. But <okay>. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> but if we did, and if it's just a small craft I mean, just very small, you know, maybe a, a, a thousand barrels a year or something like that. How 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 much capital would we need to raise to start our own craft distillery before we hire uh, you know, employees. Before we bought the grains, just strictly built the the distillery itself. I've always wanted to know that. Yeah. A-
0: you know, um, I Lo- would loaded question yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah. you know, it, it's funny because it's um, the the building and everything just takes is quite expensive in the whole thing. But um, it's funny because when people see, oh, so and so is building a a $50 million distillery and, in, in, you know, brand new and all this stuff. And and uh, so my friends would call me and say, man, are, are you getting that equipment? And I'd be like, yeah, we we got the uh, distillation equipment. And they're like, man, things must be good. And I'm like, okay, well, our part of it's about a million. So yeah. I don't know where that other 49 <laughs> million is going. But, you know, so, so but in, you know, probably um, a thousand barrels, maybe in the $750,000 range Uh, To get to get something going uh, and and put something together.
1: There you go. Yeah. Make your dream come true. (laughs) Start cashing all the kids uh, college funds. Right. Yeah. So uh, last thing I want to kind of talk about is 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 kind of the you know, the business model itself kind of strikes me as um, interesting. Right. Because you um, you make a product. And this product, most of the stills, right, I mean, and the tail boxes, like, this stuff is, it's meant to last, like, centuries, or not centuries, decades, right? I mean, it's, it's not going to, it's not like you're going to need a new one, like, in three years, right? I mean, so it seems that, you know, it's a, it's a one big-time sell, and then from there on, is it, is it a lot of maintenance? Like, and how long is it going to be able to take until you get an opportunity to resell a new still?
0: Well, the, um, like I said earlier, um, copper wears out, which is good for us. Um, the, uh, the, the grain, you know, it's, it's coarse, it's grit, you know, it's got the the grain in it. So as it's flowing through that column still, um, it is, it is going across those internal trays and just wearing them out. So I usually tell people that a column still, um, under normal operating conditions will, will probably last, uh, 15 to 20 years. Uh, and and a lot goes into that. If you're running it, you know, uh, hard, if you're pushing it to the maximum, if you're doing a lot of heavy cleaning with, with caustic solutions, um, then, then that could go down to 10 to 12 years. Um, but then a set of trays, the internals will probably halfway through the life of that still need to be replaced. So we'll go in, pull the top off, pull all the ex- or internal trays out, put a new set of trays in it. It will run another seven or eight years. And then by the time another set of trays is is due to be replaced or or put in. Normally the shell is about shot. So then at that point, the the whole column needs to be replaced. So, um, it's pretty cyclical then, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, like we know when the big distilleries, we pretty much know their schedule when they're going to need a new still, um, or when they're going to need a new, new trays, um, you know, and, and we start early with them. I mean, because copper can be a long lead item. I mean, some the, one of the mills we order from our, our larger sheet of copper takes uh, up to 20 weeks to get copper in. So we'll start, you know, in the fall and start talking to all the major distilleries about their schedule for next year. Any expansion, any tray work, any column work, any condensers, what what what's on your schedule? What do you think is going to be on your schedule? So we can make a, a, a copper order by, you know, just after the beginning of the year. So it's all in here ready to go when when they're, you know, calling us saying, okay, this is what we need. We've got the copper already here. You know, most most of the copper work we've done in the big distilleries over the last five or six years have all been expansion. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I don't know one major distillery in Kentucky and Tennessee that hasn't expanded over over the past five or six years. Some of them have already done it twice. It's a good thing. And Business it, is very good. It is. It is. <laughs> and it's good for the. I mean, it's it's great to see. It's great to see the, the bourbon industry doing so well. I mean, especially being someone who was born in Kentucky and lived here all my life. And I mean, naturally, you, when you think of, Kentucky I mean bourbon's one of those things you think of you know usually bourbon and horse racing and basketball those are about the three things that everyone thinks of when when they think of Kentucky and so for the bourbon industry to be doing so good the the, the you know the the all the visitor centers that have popped up and the bourbon trail and everything and the amount of tourists that are, that are coming it's through amazing. here it is I mean
2: they're they're building a new hotel downtown right now because we need more rooms to to uh to have people here so yeah
0: so it's just it's great to see and and um you know it's it's a fun time um you know a lot of people say we're we're still in the first part of a 20 or 25 year boom um i don't know i don't think that really includes us i think fabricating will eventually slow down so we'll just have to Find that next niche and be ready for it, right? You know, and uh, be ready to expand.
1: So, last last question I want to ask because you were talking about the copper and how it, you know, basically disintegrates, right? With all the, so I, I guess how often are people within the distilleries like either doing maintenance on them or kind of knowing exactly? Like, I mean, you said it's kind of cyclical, right? So you're kind of almost doing like preventive maintenance mm-hmm. when you're doing this, right? I mean, is how often is something going to happen where they're like, oh, we've got a, we've got a, you know. A, a pinhole in our column still. Like, do we need to shut this down and get somebody out here to start welding this thing so we can bring it back up online? Like is that is that an actual thing? Is that actually occur?
0: It just depends on the 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 size of that pinhole. Uh <laughs> you know, if, if it's something major then then they'll shut down immediately. If it's something it's you know that's not major then most distilleries um will will be down at least part of a day, one day a week um and then they'll address it on that day. Every distillery has a "Quote unquote summer shutdown." Mm-hmm. I say summer shutdown because it used to be, uh, it used to be distilleries depended so much on creek waters and lake waters and everything like that that during the summer those waters got too warm they had to shut down. That was before cooling towers and chiller systems and everything like that. So, so now certain summer shutdowns really aren't until like September and, and things like that. But most distilleries have um, a at least a couple of weeks up to a month. Major shutdown a year to where that's when they go in and do all the major maintenance. Um, But you know, little little pinhole leaks, little fixes. I mean, we're I've got a crew going somewhere tomorrow. You know, to a distillery that's got got an issue. Um, We do field work. I got people out in the field all the time at the distilleries, at the breweries. Anheuser Busch is one of our biggest customers. We're we work on their copper coils and all their cookers across the United States all the time. Um, and again, because they can't find someone to come in and fix a pinhole leak. So when Jacksonville, Florida has got a pinhole leak, I got two guys jumping in a truck driving 12 hours down there overnight oh, to man. fix it. Wow. I
1: was about to say, I thought they'd raise their hand like, Florida, yeah, give me the
0: hell out new right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. They, they drive 12 hours, get out, you know, fix it get a room, sleep for a while, and drive back. You know, they may only do two hours of work, but they they were gone 25, 26 hours. Right. So I have uh, one
2: one final question for you. Um, you you've, you've made products for virtually all the distilleries in Kentucky and, and other states. But if you can, tell Kenny and I, what's your favorite sipping bourbon and what's your favorite bourbon period?
0: <laughs> I don't think I can do that. <laughs> um, you know, to, to me it's, um, what, what's, what's the event? What's the occasion? So tailgate, I'm drinking something different. Am I, it an after dinner drink by the fire. I'm, I'm sipping something different. Um, which that's what I love about bourbon because you got all these different types of bourbons for different occasions. And, and I just, that's what I truly love about it. You know? So, so I got a, a well-stocked bar at home and, um, depending on the occasion, um, you know, I, I'm getting whatever it is that it calls for, but nice. a free bourbon is always good. Absolutely.
1: So <laughs> you got a well-stocked bar in this office. Yeah. yeah we saw yeah. Weller Centennial bottles. That's a lot. That's awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. So if people want to learn more about Vendome and, uh, are you guys even open for tours?
0: We do, uh, um, men julep tours. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll do, uh, uh, sidewalk tours. They'll bring people by and, and take them out and, and, um, kind of do a sidewalk tour of our area. Um, if, if, if someone has a, a really special event, they can go through Mint Julep and, and we could open it up for a special tour if it's if it's something. Um, but because we're a manufacturer and there's welding and cutting and and grinding and all that going on. Still
1: steel tote yeah, and all yeah, that. It's so, yeah, it's tough to
0: bring people through and and um so so mostly it's it's from afar that you can check us out. But um, you know, we got a website, VendomeCopper.com. It's got a lot of cool pictures of, and we try to keep that up to date uh of, of some of the stuff that we're doing doing and and working on. So, so yeah, you know, it's like I said, 10, 12 years ago, no one even knew we were down here, (laughs) you know, and then we were here for a hundred years in this area and, and, and no one knew it. And then now all of a sudden it's like, can we come by and do a tour? And so,
1: yeah, now you're the president and the PR person and
0: yeah, <laughs> put this hat on today, this hat on tomorrow.
1: Right. Absolutely. So, Mike, I want to say pleasure. Thank you again Thank for you. being on the show. Yep. Uh, if you do like what you hear, make sure you support the show on Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash burden pursuit. Uh, We always love to to be able to send new swag out, koozies, stickers, T-shirts, all those kind of great things. So make sure you support the show. And, you know, you can follow Vendom Cooper on Twitter at Vendom Cooper. You can also follow us uh, at social media at Bourbon Pursuit on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you have any other show suggestions or people would like to hear, make sure you send us to it's theduo, T-H-E-D-U-O, at bourbonpursuit.com. Uh, Lyndon, I want to say thank you again for my pleasure. Guest co-hosting today, this is a pleasure, and glad you got to come here and uh, see yet another uh, stop. Right? I mean, this is this is a first for us. Um, it's probably going to be the uh, the only time we're ever going to have a, a a you know a still maker on here. I can, <laughs> I can guarantee you that, unless for some odd reason we're going to have you back on again in six months to see what's new. Right? But
0: <laughs> my pleasure.
1: Thank awesome. you. Uh, and then y'all make sure you tune in next week.